what happens when we don't have time to watch that movie everyone is raving about? Reading the synopsis is a great way to be in on the current pop culture. But what happens if it is a bad synopsis? Can you base the movie off of what you read only? We'll find out on today's reading of Bad Movie Synopsis. Alright, welcome to another Bad Movie Synopsis with your host David Carr, where we read synopsises from IMDb and basically read them and see if they're good or bad, if they actually do what they're supposed to do, and then talk about some fun facts during the episode, or after, you know. Sometimes I, I kind of sprinkle things in, sometimes I wait till after. So today we're going to talk about Speed, which was released in 1994, and here we go. In a downtown Los Angeles office building, a security guard is checking the basement when he runs across a man tinkering with some wiring. Asking to see a work order, the man suddenly stabs the guard in the ear, telling him nothing personal. A group of people who work in the building are taking an express elevator down when a few explosions are heard. The cables are severed, and the elevator plummets a few floors before the emergency brakes stop it. The Los Angeles Police Department dispatched their Special Weapons and Tactics SWAT team, including hotshot officer Jack Traven, played by Kanye Reeves, and his partner, Officer Harry Temple, played by Jeff Daniels. Oh, that's interesting. <laughs> I've never seen this movie, of course, which is how I do most of these synopsises, so I get surprised sometimes reading these things. They join their team and their boss, Lieutenant Herb McMahon, which is played by Joe Morton, briefs them all on the situation. Bombs have already severed the main cables, and the only thing keeping the elevator from dropping to the basement is the emergency brakes, but the bomber has wired them with explosives and has given a one-hour ultimatum. Pay him $3.7 million or he will blow the brakes. Both Jack and Harry use building access panels to examine the bomb. Harry, the SWAT team's bomb expert, says the work doesn't look familiar, but he, the bomber is definitely professional. While they wait, Harry quizzes Jack. Jack is at an airport when a woman is taken hostage. While they wait, Harry quizzes Jack. Jack is at an airport when a woman is taken hostage. The kidnapper is almost to a plane. What does Jack do? Jack suggests shooting the hostage with the non-lethal wound so the kidnapper can't take them with him. Harry scoffs, telling Jack he's crazy for the idea of shooting a civilian. Musing further about taking the hostage out of the equation, Jack suddenly comes up with the idea of, to use a window cleaner's crane on the roof as a way to hopefully help get the passenger off the rigged car. However, the mystery bomber has bugged the express elevator and is listening to everything the pair says and it do in an empty freight elevator nearby. Suspecting something is up, he blows the emergency brakes and the elevator begins to plummet. Doom, doom, doom. The crane cable stops the elevator for a short time between two floors, while Harry and Jack manage to get the passengers unloaded before the crane pulls free of its base and the elevator plummets to the bottom. Harry notes that the explosion happened three minutes earlier than the time limit given. Jack suggests that the bomber is nearby, while Harry tells him that the bomber could have set off the charges from miles away. Harry suggests the bomber would want to stay mobile. With the main elevators having been shut down, Jack deduces that the bomber must be aboard a freight elevator in the building. Harry and Jack soon find the freight elevator, and they try to get to him, but he has also bugged the outside of the freight car and hears them coming. The bomber, Howard Payne, played by Dennis Hopper, although his name is not yet known at this point, starts shooting at them with a shotgun, dropping Harry into the elevator car. He uses a control device he's wired to the car's control panel to raise the car to the top of the building, forcing Jack to jump into the car before he is squashed by the roof. Payne is about to shoot Jack, but has run out of ammo. He quickly shows that he has wired himself with explosives and holds Harry hostage before Jack can get a clean shot at him. He uses his device to trick Jack and Harry's team into thinking they're putting off on a different floor, but they arrive at the parking level instead. Payne attempts to take Harry with him to the building's parking garage, 
But Jack, recalling the scenario he and Harry had discussed earlier, shoots Harry in the leg, preventing Payne from taking Harry any further and causing Payne to drop him. Payne makes a dash out the door, but before Jack can get to him, the explosives go off, knocking him back. Sometime afterwards, a commendation ceremony is held in which Jack and Harry are congratulated for their service and are given medals for their valor in saving the hostages and stopping the bomber. Harry is promoted to detective and put on desk duty till his injured leg heals. The pair go to a bar where they and their colleagues celebrate their victory. An inebriated Harry tells Jack to be more cautious in his work because his recklessness could get him killed. The next day, Jack stops into a small coffee shop for a drink. As he goes out to his car, a bus that had pulled away explodes and bursts into flames. A payphone nearby rings, and Jack is surprised to hear Payne's voice on the line. Payne explains that he had spent two years playing the elevator job and chastises Jack for ruining his life's work. The bomber then goes on to explain that he has planted another bomb on an L.A. City bus, which will be armed the moment the bus passes 50 miles per hour and then will detonate if the bus drops below that speed. Payne also explains that if any passengers are removed from the bus, he will detonate it himself and demand a ransom of $3.7 million, the same amount he demanded during the elevator kidnapping by 11 a.m. Furthermore, he knows that the bus's radio is out of order, so alerting the transit authority is useless. Payne gives the bus number 2525 and Jack takes off to catch up to it. Jack manages to catch up to the bus en route, but when he frantically tries to get the bus driver, driver to open the doors, the driver ignores him, thinking it's a prank. Jack then commandeers a Jaguar and again catches up to the bus. After a mad struggle, Jack manages to relate to the driver that there is a bomb on the bus and manages to board, jumping from the moving car into the bus's door. Harry is also alerted by Jack through the Jaguar's owner's cellular phone, which, you know, in 94 meant that the guy was rich, right? It is an interesting part to throw in some uh, fun facts. <laughs> now I feel like they got feel like a uh, Paul Blart from Malcolm. Fun fact: the um, Kanye Reeves actually did a lot of his stunts, though not all of them were him. That end of the movie were him, but he actually did this maneuver where he went for the jaguar to the bus, which I thought was was pretty interesting. But you should also tell now at this point that I'm kind of into this synopsis, which is a good which is a good sign. The fact that I'm not really stopped to talk about anything else. To continue, Jack attempts to calm the bus passengers, but an altercation with one man wielding a gun, fearing that Jack has come to arrest him, forces a struggle and the bus driver is shot wounded. A young woman named Annie Porter, played by Sandra Bullock, takes the wheel, planning to hit the brakes. Jack sharply orders her not to stop the bus and informs the passengers about the bomb. At the suggestion of the injured driver, Jack opens an access panel in the bus floor and finds a decoy and then the real bomb, which is alarmingly large. Relaying the info to Harry, Harry is perplexed at Jack's observation that the timer for the bomb is attached to a cheap gold watch. Harry's suspicions turn to the prospect that their mad bomber may be a former officer, and he has his staff start looking over information about officers who have worked with bombs or on bomb squads. The plot thickens. Back on the bus, a traffic jam on the freeway forces Annie to divert the bus onto city streets instead. There, with an LAPD helicopter following the bus, with Lieutenant McMahon on board trying to arrange a survivable route, the occupants of the bus have a terrifying ordeal as Annie and Jack must deal with every conceivable obstacle that threatens to fatally slow the bus as it is forced to careen through the streets. That sounds like a really interesting scene to watch, actually. It's something you don't think about, because I've heard about this movie before and I vaguely recall that they end up at an airport going in circles or something like that, um, which I'm sure we're going to find out from the synopsis. But, you know, the thought of having to actually go through L.A. with the traffic, that does sound quite terrifying. To continue, 
These include being forced to take a one-way lane against opposing traffic and a collision with a baby carriage that is sent flying but is mercifully only carrying empty cans. Ooh, that would be terrifying. Eventually, a police escort arrives to guide the bus to the unfinished and empty 105 freeway. Oh, okay. Not an airport then. The first entrance, a soft right turn, is blocked by a group of school kids crossing at the worst possible time, and Annie and Jack are forced to make a hard right turn that nearly spills the bus on its side. Once on the freeway, Mick Mahone and a number of officers onboard a flatbed truck that pulls up next to the bus. Mick Mahone wants to get the people off, but Jack explains that the news helicopter in the air are televising the event and that Payne will detonate the bus if anyone gets off. Jack soon receives a call from Payne in regards to what is being seen on television. Jack manages to get Payne to agree to let the wounded bus driver off, though Payne tells Jack that the wildcat behind the wheel is not to slow down. However, a passenger named Helen, Beth Grant, gets edgy and attempts to get off the bus. As she stands over the entranceway stairs, the smaller charger set off and destroys the platform. Helen falls under the bus and is crushed under the wheels. Ooh. During a few moments of relative calm, <laughs> or stunned silence, I don't know if they... Uh, that was the best place to put that sentence after talking about somebody being crushed by wheels. Anyway, during a few moments of relative calm, Annie tearfully confesses that she was profoundly relieved that the blast was not of the main bomb and she herself survived. Jack reassures Annie that it is a perfectly normal human response to an extreme situation and she has nothing to regret while reminding her that the real person to blame is the bomber who put everyone in this situation in the first place. Mick Mahone is then informed that 105 Freeway is unfinished, which I thought they knew. There you go. And a stretch of roadway ahead contains a 50-foot gap. Jack is informed of this, but still refuses to take any passengers off. Desperately, Jack then instructs Annie to increase the speed, figuring there may be an incline that will allow them to jump the bus over the gap. <laughs> figuring. Use a, use a news helicopter, a police helicopter, and find out for sure. Good night. Um, and there is some fun facts about this bus jump that I will read from the actual fun facts page when we get there. Well, actually, you know, why not? I'll talk about it right now. Obviously, still figuring out how to do this this properly. Uh, let's see. Bus jump was added by the director. It says, John DeMont, which I'm sure I'm saying that wrong, wanted a part in the middle of the movie where it seemed that the bus was doomed to explode, which a 50-foot gap would do that. On his first try nailing the freeway jump, the bus landed on a row of cameras. Ouch. One bus used had its tires blown and suspension damage after it went over 100 feet in the air and 20 feet off the ground. Can you imagine watching a city transport transit bus? And these things are 40, 50 feet long doing that. Oh my goodness. Anyway, back to this. Miraculously, his plan works. Surprise. And the bus makes it to the other side. Once over, Jack finds an off-ramp that leads to Los Angeles International Airport. Ah, here's where they get to the airport. Gotcha. Annie takes it and enters through an airport exit, running over a pair of spike strips that blow a few of the tires. Jack's plan is to keep the news helicopter cameras from following them. Because the airport is restricted airspace, they can't fly over it. Why didn't they just have them tell them what was going on? Anyway, it's not like they didn't have radios at the time. The long runways that are not in use will also allow the bus to circle and keep it out of civilian traffic and buy them time until they can find pain or deactivate the bomb. Lieutenant Mick Mahone soon shows up at the airport with some more cops, and Jack convinces Payne to let him disembark then to negotiate the ransom which Payne agrees to. Jack reassures the passengers that he will be back shortly to help them. Jack gets off the bus onto a vehicle with Lieutenant Mick Mahone, who feels they should be able to unload the passengers safely. But Jack is still convinced that Payne will know, leaving only one option, disarm the bomb. 
To the passenger's alarm, Jack has arranged to put himself onto a small wheeled dolly attached by a cable to a small truck and sent under the still-moving bus, <laughs> hoping to dismantle the bomb under guidance from Harry and the bomb squad. However, Payne had fitted the bomb with a collapsible circuit, and Jack is unable to disarm it. Harry is still thinking of alternative ways to disarm the bomb when his associates come back with Payne's identity. Payne turns out to be a former member of the Atlanta Police Department's bomb squad, who was forced into early retirement when a bomb he was disarming exploded, burning his hand and costing him a thumb. Harry and his associates rush off to apprehend Howard. Jack soon comes close to death when the cable towing the doll he's on gives way, and he is almost run over by the bus. Surprise. Jack cleans to the undercarriage of the bus, but accidentally punctures the fuel tank with a screwdriver. Oops. The passengers on the bus help Jack up through an access panel on the bus's floor, and he survives. With le leaking fuel a new problem, Jack calls for a fueling vehicle to pace the bus and refuel them. Meanwhile, Harry and some other members of the LAPD SWAT team that weren't at the airport have stalked, sorry, staked out and entered Payne's home. They soon find he's not there and that, that has Bobby trapped the house with explosives, which they triggered upon entry. The house then explodes, killing everyone inside, including Harry. Oh, that's sad. After the bomb goes off, Payne calls Jack and gloats over Harry's death, saying it was his old watch that helped Harry identify him. Payne then gives Jack instructions to deliver the 3.7 million ransom to a garbage can at Pershing Square downtown, mentioning that everyone on the bus will die if he doesn't get his money, referring to Annie as a wildcat again. Jack has a meltdown over Harry's death and is unsure what to do next. Accepting that Payne might actually win, he suddenly notices the sweatshirt Annie has been wearing, which contains the logo for the Arizona Wildcats. Jack realizes that Payne has been monitoring the bus through the security camera above the bus driver's seat. Though the camera can record video, it cannot record audio. Jack radios over to McMahon regarding his plan. McMahon gets all the news, vans nearby to stop taping, and commandeers one to find the signal going into the bus camera. With everyone still sitting still on the bus, the news team records them, gathering enough footage to run a video loop to fool Payne. However, Annie notes that the fuel is almost on empty, and McMahon is forced to have the tape loop with only a minute of footage having been recorded. Huh. The airport bus is brought alongside bus 2525, and the passengers are unloaded. However, the tires that have been punctured once the bus went through the airport's exits continue to lose their treads, and Annie and Jack are unable to get off. Jack affixes the steering wheel with some rope, the gas pedal with the steel pipe, and the two escape from under the bus using the access panel. The bus drives a ways off before heading towards an empty cargo plane. As the speed drops below 50, the bus runs straight into a cargo plane and explodes. Seems a bit over the top, don't you think? <laughs> After the passengers are treated by paramedics, the police receive a call from Payne wanting to know about the money. Mick Mahone is about to tell Payne off, but Jack realizes that Payne does not know the bus exploded, giving them an advantage to capture the madman. The money is placed in bags and dropped into the garbage container Payne has specified, with a couple of paint bombs among the cash. A number of officers, including SWAT units, patrol in Pershing Square, with Payne watching from an overhead building's window. Payne thinks he's won until he notices the bus camera and realizes that the tape is on the loop. Payne quickly puts on his old uniform and blending in with the other officers, walks over to Annie and escorts her away from the scene, saying that he'd been sent by Jack. Jack and a number of officers are watching the garbage can, but no one has appeared. Jack suddenly demands that they turn on the homing beacon with the money, and all of them are surprised to see the money is in motion. Jack rushes out to the garbage can and finds that there is a hole below it in the pavement, leading down to a level under the street. Jack finds an entrance to the area below street level and is confronted with Annie strapped with explosives and Payne standing nearby, holding a detonator. Payne chastises Jack a bit before making his way to the Los Angeles subway system, with Jack jumping aboard as it pulls away, crawling across the top. Payne handcuffs Annie to a pole and shoots and kills the train driver. 
Payne then explains his plan to Annie. Wow. Classic bad guy monologue. <laughs> to continue. That's a that's an Incredibles reference, in case you're wondering. He intends to get off the train with the money, but leave her to explode, leading the police to think they both died on the subway. Payne's overzealous nature gets the better of him as he hears Jack climbing on top of the train. Playfully claiming he may be able to bribe Jack into letting him go, Payne reaches into the stack of money only to set off the hidden dye pack bomb, ruining the money and covering him in purple dye. Enraged, Payne then climbs up the side of the train car on the outside and goes hand-to-hand with Jack. I just have to say that defacing um, American currency is actually a federal crime, I believe. So, no, no, no. Shouldn't have done that. I mean, <laughs> anyway. <laughs> Enraged, Payne then climbs up the side of the train car on the outside and goes hand-to-hand with Jack. As they fight, Jack notices a low overhanging light approaching and holds Payne's head up while seizing the detonator to Annie's bomb from Payne. The light decapitates Payne and his body falls over the side of the car. Jack then enters the car and manages to get the explosives off Annie. However, he does not have the key to her handcuffs, and when Payne shot the driver, train driver, some stray bullets hit the control panel, rendering the brakes inoperable. A rail map shows Jack that there's a sharp curve ahead. He speeds up the train with the intention of derailing it. The plan works, and Annie is freed from the bar. Because they derailed? I'm so confused. The plan works, and Annie is freed from the bar. The train barrels out of an incomplete stretch of track right in front of the Chinese Theater in Hollywood. It lands on its side and comes to a halt. None of the workers on the subway tunnel are hurt. Annie and Jack are both alive, and as they kiss, a number of tourists and others whom the train had stopped traffic for came over to look at the strange spectacle. And that is the end of the synopsis. I am actually pretty impressed with the synopsis. Uh, and, you know, I'll give my rating here before we get into the fun facts. Uh, I'd give it like an 8 out of 10, maybe a 9, uh, 8.5. We'll, we'll split the difference. The writing was really good. I felt like I was part of the, the action. Felt like we were actually getting a blow-by-blow blow and, and got to see all the high points and the low points. And I felt some of the... You know, I'm going to give it a 9, actually. I think it was really good. It was, it was extremely good because I felt like I was, I was able to feel the excitement and feel the, the adrenaline and things of that nature as I was reading it. So the person who wrote it did a really good job. The only thing that I didn't like is that, and as you heard, there were a couple of places where the spelling was incorrect, the the wording, the way that it came across was a bit hard to read, um, didn't necessarily make sense, so it, it can't be a perfect score just because of that, but yeah, I'd give this a 9 out of 10. I, I would definitely, uh, I have this now on my list of movies to watch because it seems like it would be a fun movie. Uh, action-packed, you know, there's obviously some holes in it, you hear me laughing at a couple parts. Uh, like derailing a train to get her loose from the handcuffs, uh, you know, stuff like that. But that's just Hollywood for you. I mean, they're not going to get all the physics of a situation correct, so I don't blame the synopsis for that. That's just in the movie itself, and I'm sure if I watched the movie, it would be very interesting and intriguing and energetic and exciting and all those things, even if it's not exactly accurate. But, hey, that's why you watch a movie, so you can have fun with it. And now on to the fun facts. We will share a couple of those real quick. So one of the first things that, uh, well, catches my eye as I'm going through this, apparently there's a big of a plot hole, pretty big one, uh, when the detective, Jack, let's see, what is it, Jack, could, says that he could have simply shot the tires of the bus out before it reached 50 miles per hour, which would have prevented the bomb uh, being armed, of course. But uh, the, the writer said that he just hadn't thought about that, and that if he had thought of that he would have just had like the driver 
jostle Jack or something like that, just because he didn't know that he was a cop beforehand, which would have made it to the bus, still would have got to 50 miles an hour. And yeah, I mean, obviously there's plot holes in every movie. This was just interesting, because it's like, yeah, that's that'd be a pretty simple fix right there, actually. Hmm. Uh, what else do we got here? Some of the interesting things at production. Oh, the actors on the bus apparently all got bonus stunt pay, which I thought was pretty interesting. It says that a lot of the actors moved from the bus to the rescue vehicle themselves, so they got extra money for that. Uh, the highway scenes were finished on were shot on an unfinished highway. Um, the Century Freeway wasn't open until October 14, 1993, a few days after the filming ended. So it just goes to show that it, you know most movies want to not spend a lot of money on building sets. This reminds me of the Matrix Reloaded, I believe, the second movie in the Matrix trilogy, that uh, they actually built during that scene where they're doing the freeway chase and all those cars are going up everywhere. That's all live. That's not that's not CGI. Um, they actually built a whole a huge set, cost them, I think like sixty million dollars of this like freeway, and then they tore it down, and recycled it after the filming was done. Uh, so I mean, movies will go through you know spectacular budgets to get these sets done. But you know, if you can, if you can save a couple million dollars not building these kind of sets, then of course you try to go with it. Um, Sandra Bullock apparently had to get a bus driver's license in order to drive the bus. Uh, but apparently she didn't really drive it that much, I guess. Um, it would say in here that despite the license, a stunt driver controlled the bus from the second row of seats in some scenes. And in others, a stunt driver was on the roof. I would love to see that. <laughs> Honestly, that would be amazing. You know, there's things about... reason why I got into production, a lot of it is because of the technicality of making the films. I mean, the acting's cool, too. Uh, the storylines are great. A big, another big reason for me was the fact that you can actually influence culture and influence the way that people uh, perceive life. But... You know, for me, that was a big draw, too, is just how technical and how you... I mean, having a stunt driver driving the bus in the second seat behind you, uh, how, the, how did that even work? And on the roof of the bus, how did that even work? I mean, that would be... That would just be fascinating to watch that. Let's see, let's go over one more. Oh, as you all know, uh, Keanu Reeves, before this movie, um, and one of the movies he was first famous for was Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure time travel film, which I would recommend watching. And they actually just finished off the the film trilogy a little while ago, um, where they have kids and all that. Anyway, it's interesting. But apparently, the director made Reeves cut his long hair, which is a big part of the not not a big part, but it's just part of his character in the movie of the the time travel movie. Uh, but he said that I, the D-Bonds wanted his star to look strong. I didn't want people to think of Bill and Ted anymore. I want them to think of Keanu as an adult actor now. And that has definitely come across. Well, that's all the fun facts I'm going to share for this one. Um, like I said, I really enjoyed reading the synopsis. I think they did an excellent job with this one. And the movie, I mean, I would, I'm probably going to go and, have, and watch that one now. It sounds pretty interesting. Uh, as always, I'm going to leave links to the... Uh, the fun facts, as well as potentially the IMDb link, though that's a little trickier, but we'll see if I can get that to actually work one of these days. And until next time, uh, we will uh, well, keep reading some synopses, and uh, hopefully you enjoy this podcast, and I will catch you on the next episode. Thanks for listening. Please like and share this podcast. 
Join us each week for new episodes of Bad Movie Synopsis, where we read movie synopsis and discuss how well they were written, plus other interesting movie facts. Thank you.